Well, good morning. We're so glad you have joined us here today at Connect. I hope this morning as you're watching, wherever you're watching from, if you're watching live uh, this morning on Sunday or if you're watching later on in the day or the week, that you are not watching this alone this morning. Uh, we've been encouraging people to uh, join these watch parties, so I hope that you found some friends or another family, uh, maybe someone you serve with here at Connect, and you guys have been able to get together and gather in a living room or here at the building to watch this together. Uh, if you are new to Connect, we'd love to get you plugged into those watch parties. If you're not nearby here in Washington, invite your neighbor. Say, hey, I'm going to be going to church this morning, watching online, and I want you to come and uh, join me. We can go to church together. So hopefully I'm speaking to uh, rooms of people all over Washington and all over the area, um, gathering together for Connect this morning. But wherever you're gathered, however you're watching, um, I wonder if any of you this morning um, are at that stage in life where your kids are toddlers, where they're young, kind of preschool age. My kids are all uh, grown now. They are in college, high school, middle school, so we're through that stage. But I can remember that stage, and while it was fun, and there were some great things, and it was fun watching them learn to um, speak and walk and say new things, uh, there were those times where they didn't get their own way and they could have tantrums. Maybe you're a parent watching right now and you're like, oh, tell me about it. Some of the um, tantrums we've seen from this little guy or this little girl. I came across a, a post recently on Facebook and uh, it was a, a list. People had sent in pictures of tantrums that their kids had had with a picture and what caused that tantrum. I think that's probably what is the most shocking part of it all is, is what can cause your beautiful child to just melt down at a moment's notice. Let's take a look at a couple of them here together this morning, shall we? Here's this first one. Uh, you see a couple of kids here in a shopping cart. He didn't want to share his leg hole. He didn't want to share his, he had to share his leg hole with his sister and he is losing it as a result. How about this next one? He didn't want to hold my hand whilst walking home from daycare. And look at that. As a result, he's just laying in the middle of the sidewalk there. I love this. Um, I wouldn't buy her the Dolly movie for Christmas. As you can see, that is clearly not a movie about a dolly. Well, it is, but uh, not a very nice little dolly. Uh, I like this one. I broke this cheese in half. That's all it took. The cheese was broken in half, and the kid lost it. And then another food-related one here. We said she couldn't have more bacon. And she has lost it. Now, I will be honest, I can get like that when I'm told that I can't have any more bacon. So I, I get that one, okay? But um, I wonder if we were to ask you this morning, maybe if you're watching together in a watch party with others, uh, when the service gets finished here, you could share some stories of um, situations that you've run into as a family. Maybe when your kids have melted down, a tantrum they've had. Maybe it's your spouse, a tantrum he or she had because someone finished all the ice cream. I don't know, but um, maybe you could talk about that afterwards. But today we're going to finish off our series looking at Jonah, a guy who lived a long time ago. Uh, we can read about him in the Old Testament of the Bible. And this final chapter, we discover that Jonah had a bit of a tantrum himself. 
he finishes out the story um, basically by losing it, by having a temper tantrum. We're going to learn all about that this morning in Jonah chapter 4. But before we get there, let me catch you up real quick, just in case maybe you're joining us for the very first time here this morning. So over the last three weeks, we've been looking at the life of Jonah. And in Jonah chapter 1, we learned that um, God had a plan. He was asking Jonah to go to Nineveh to share the good news about God and how he loved the people. And uh, Jonah wasn't up for it. He decided to, to go the complete opposite direction. He ran from God towards a city called Tarshish. We learned that as a result of his disobedience, as a result of him going the opposite direction, um, he was on a boat going away from where God wanted him to go and a storm came up and um, the sailors threw him overboard and Jonah was sure he was going to die but God sent a whale or a big fish and Jonah was swallowed up. And then we learned about what, was, what it was like for Jonah to be at the lowest point of his life, in the belly of this fish, crying out to God for mercy. And God heard his prayer. We learned in the second week that Jonah chose to do the right thing at the lowest point. He prayed, he praised God. And as a result, God caused this giant fish, this whale, to vomit him up on the beach. That's right. The verse says that he was vomited up. And I know that because I can remember reading this as a kid. And I just always used to like reading that word because I got to read the Bible and still say the word vomit. Last week, Andy told us what happened next. So now Jonah finds himself in Nineveh. He gets to go to the people. He communicates to them probably the worst message any prophet or any follower of Jesus could ever communicate. And despite that, the people of Nineveh, they hear what he says and they turn from their wicked ways. And Andy told us last week just the amazing story of God's mercy that he had for the people of Nineveh and the mercy that he has for you and for me. It's greater than anything we can imagine. And today, we're going to go now to, to what happens next. Because based on what Andy told us last week, that as Jonah communicated the message of God, you would think that he would be over the moon, mission accomplished. But listen to Jonah's response when the people of Nineveh Turn from their wicked ways. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This change of plans, so the change of plans, the change of hearts that the people had, it greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry, a little temper tantrum. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. We find out now why it was that Jonah ran. He wasn't disobeying God. He wasn't scared of what might happen. He was running because he knew that if he did go, there was a chance that God being God would forgive these people. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Jonah, I'm kind of picturing you right now like one of those pictures of those toddlers. Just kill me now, God. Just having this tantrum. You're a follower of God. Why are you so mad? A city of 120,000 people have just heard the word of God. They've turned from their wicked ways. They've cried out to God for mercy. 
We've got to witness their hearts change as a result of the message, Jonah, that you brought. But sadly, in Jonah chapter four, we get to see a little bit of Jonah's heart also. You see, in verses two and three, the Hebrew word for me, my, or I, it's used nine times, nine times in just two verses. This is all about me. Jonah is just complaining, saying, what about me? Instead of looking at the others and being excited, all Jonah can do is think of himself and how mad he is. He's selfish. You see, Jonah, we discover, he wasn't telling them God's message in the hope that they would turn from their ways. He was telling them God's message hoping he'd get a front row seat to their destruction. You see, he, he believed they were evil people. He believed they'd need to be destroyed. He didn't like them. They were Israel's enemy. He wasn't coming to deliver a message to invoke mercy. He was coming to deliver a message and then sit back and watch the action. And now, it looked like things were gonna change and he was mad. Verse five, Jonah went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah is still hoping that maybe these people will have a change of heart. Maybe um, they'll, they'll give up on this whole repenting thing and they'll go back to their wicked ways and he'll get to see God destroy the city. So do you think this means that, that Jonah thinks that God shouldn't show mercy? Do you think that this response from Jonah is because he as a prophet believes that God shouldn't be a compassionate God? Well, no. That's not what he's thinking. And, and, and we know this because Jonah does think that God should be a God of mercy. God, Jonah does think that God should be a God of compassion. And here's how we know this, because two chapters earlier in, in Jonah chapter two, that's exactly who Jonah himself was crying out to. As a result of his disobedience, the storm comes up, he's in the belly of the whale, and now he's crying out to God saying, God, I know you are just, I know you are merciful, I know you are compassionate. Would you please rescue me? If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that, that Jonah is quoting Psalms. Jonah's quoting the Bible. He's saying, God, I'm referencing your mercy here. I know your mercy is real. And as a result, God hears his prayer. God hears his, his cries of thanksgiving and praise to God. And God shows Jonah mercy. He shows Jonah compassion and forgiveness. And the, the fish spits him up onto dry land. You see, I don't think Jonah has a problem understanding that God is a merciful God. I think Jonah has a problem with who God shows mercy to. I don't think God, I'm sorry, I don't think Jonah's problem was, was believing and trusting that uh, God was a merciful God. I think we're learning here as we look at Jonah that he had a problem with who God was showing his mercy to. 
One of the books I read in preparing for this message this morning, it said this, it said that Jonah's accusation was that the Lord should be able to discern those times when it was appropriate to be compassionate, but that there are other times when God ought to show a more ruthless streak. It's like Jonah saying, hey God, I'm okay with you being compassionate when people deserve compassion and mercy, but sometimes you need to be ruthless as well. You need to be a God that punishes. So here's where it gets difficult, doesn't it, for us today. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, watching uh, online, this is where it gets difficult for us because now we kind of take a look at Jonah and we think, is there something of Jonah in me? Do I see something of Jonah in me? God has shown me mercy. The reason I'm a follower of Jesus is because of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. He's demonstrated his grace to me. But do I demonstrate the same grace to others? Do I love others the way God has loved me? Or are there people in my life, in my life, a little bit like the people of Nineveh, who I look at and I think, no, they they don't deserve to be forgiven. They don't deserve God's mercy. They don't deserve God's grace. In his book, The Advantage, the author, Patrick Lencioni, he introduces this idea of something called the fundamental attribution error. The fundamental attribution error. He talks about the problems it can cause in the workplace and in the world. And what it is, it's, it's when we attribute negative things in others to their shortcomings and to their problems, and we find reasons you know, to attribute these negatives. But when we look at the same shortcomings in ourselves, we attribute that to, to something else that we had no control of, an external influence, let's say. Here's an example of what he means. Um, Imagine you were at the grocery store and uh, you're in the checkout line and the person in front of you, obviously six feet in front of you, but the person in front of you uh, is checking out also and they've got a little toddler sat in the grocery cart, maybe two years old, and they are crying and they are fussing and they're throwing a tantrum. Maybe they had to share the leg hole. I don't know what it is, but they're just losing it here in the checkout line and you find yourself looking thinking, what a terrible parent. Look at that, there's no discipline. He or she's not telling the child to stop crying. I bet that child runs things in their house. Just And you find yourself judging that parent and their parenting skills. But then the very next day, you're out shopping and you've got your toddler with you. And now you're checking out and the cashier's ringing up your stuff and your toddler starts to melt down in the car. He or she starts to cry and throw a fit, and you're aware of the fact that people are looking on. But in your head, you're thinking, well, it's because he's hungry. It's because he didn't sleep um, a lot last night. He woke up early. And, and what you're doing is you're judging yourself differently than you judged the same person in the same position the day before. And that's what Lencioni refers to as the fundamental attribution error. You see, I think Jonah, in the belly of the whale, I think he looked at the wrongdoings in his life, the sin, the disobedience, and he, he didn't justify it. He knew he'd done wrong, but he warranted it as being something that God would show mercy on and could forgive him for. But when he looked at the people of Nineveh, he's like, uh-uh, no, God. 
It's okay to show me mercy, but I'm not happy that you're showing them mercy as well because they're much different than me. They're a lot worse than I am. If you knew what they got up to, the kind of things they think, the kind of things, they don't deserve to be forgiven and loved. Do we ever do that? Do we ever look and receive the love and the forgiveness that God's given us and, and kind of justify it because we know that what we did, it wasn't great, but it wasn't awful. But this person over here, well, I'm not sure they deserve God's love and forgiveness. You see, what I want us to learn this week from Jonah, and this is a really important lesson, I think, for all of us to learn with regards to this particular chapter, but also really the book of Jonah as a whole. And that is if we're going to receive his grace, we've got to be willing to give grace. If, we're going to be with, if we as followers of Jesus want to receive his grace and his mercy in our lives, then we've got to be willing to show grace and show mercy and show love and show forgiveness to others in our lives. With all this unrest in America right now, all the turmoil that's going on, as followers of Jesus, we're going to have to be careful. Because we can very easily look at others and, and point fingers and say, well, the problem is that person, or the problem is this, or the problem is that, and, and show judgment instead of love and grace and mercy. Because it's that love and grace and mercy that God has showed all of us. So as we continue on in Jonah chapter 4, we discover that, jo that God decides, I'm going to teach Jonah a lesson. Jonah needs to learn a lesson here. So he, he uses an object to teach Jonah. And God's great at this. Just in the book of Jonah, we've seen these objects that God uses. In the, the first chapter, he used a storm to teach Jonah the, the dangers of disobeying and going the wrong direction. He uses a whale to teach him how to cry out for mercy and your lowest point. And the next object that God uses to teach Jonah is one of these. That's right. Well, it's not exactly one of these. This is a sour gummy worm. These are my favorite treats. I, uh, if we're on long journeys in the car, I always like to kind of munch on these as I'm driving. But um, God didn't use a sour gummy worm. God used a real worm to teach Jonah a lesson. You see, as we read earlier, Jonah was on the side of the city looking down, and, and as he was there, he'd, he'd built this shelter to kind of protect him from the elements and the sun and the, the wind, and, and we read that God caused this plant to grow. This vine grew up around the shelter, and it provided shade in the middle of this hot sun beating down on Jonah. But God wanted to teach Jonah a lesson. Verse 7, God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. God has to feel like one of the parents of those toddlers in those first pictures who we showed at the beginning, just watching Jonah melt down out there in that hot sun. Then God said to Jonah, verse 9, is it right for you to be angry because the plants died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. 
So God explains what he's trying to teach Jonah through all of this. Verse 10, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God, God's saying, Jonah, you're upset that a plant, a plant which, by the way, you had nothing to do with. I was the one who caused it to grow. I was the one that caused it to die. You're upset that a plant died, but you're not upset about the fact that an entire city with 120,000 people are living in spiritual darkness. And then verse 11, the last verse of the book of Jonah, God asks, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And what does Jonah reply? We don't know. That's where the book of Jonah ends. It it literally ends on that question. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Have you ever watched a movie and instead of it kind of wrapping up neatly at the end, it doesn't end and and kind of finish, it kind of leaves you wondering like, well, did he die? Did he survive? Is the villain dead? Is he he going to come back? Is there going to be a sequel? Are the aliens coming back? Do they get to keep the money? You know, one of those movies where, and we never know and they can be frustrating, can't they? You might remember the movie Inception. It came out a while ago, and uh, it was a really hard-to-understand movie. It was about dreams and dreams within dreams. And um, there was a part in the movie where there was a spinning top, and the guy could always tell if he was dreaming or if it was real life, because in real life, the top would fall over. But if he was dreaming, it just kept spinning and spinning and would never fall over. So the movie ends, and it really kind of finishes on a high note, and you feel like it's a happy ending, and everything's got sorted out at the end, and and you think, okay, that's great, the the hero won, but then at the very end, it focuses in on this top that's spinning, and it spins, and then the credits start to roll. And you never know, you're left with this this thought, well, well, was this a dream, or is this real life? You know, is it a dream? What's the deal here? And it's frustrating, because you never get to find out. When I saw the movie, I, uh, I posted something on Facebook, and just, just for a joke, I said, I'm so glad that I stayed right the way to the end of the credits so I could find out whether the top fell or not. And about two or three days later, a girl I worked with came in, and she goes, Dave Jane, I hate you. It's like, why? She goes, I saw your post before watching the movie. So I went to see the movie, and I sat in the theater for nine minutes at the end. Nine minutes. I sat watching the entire credits, thinking it was going to tell me whether it was a dream or not. (laughs) But it never did. And we'll never know. So why finish the book of Jonah like that? Why finish on this question? I think it's because Jonah himself wrote this account of his life. Jonah was looking back on this chapter of his life and he was writing what happened and what he learned and and I think he knew the answer to that question. I think he himself realized, you know, of course, of course the people of Nineveh are of far greater value than, than me and some shade from the sun. But I think he's leaving the answer or the question there unanswered. Because I think he wants us 
to figure out what the answer is to that question too. He wants us to wrestle with that thought. Are there some things in my life that I'm getting angry about? And they are so small and petty compared to what I should be angry about, what I should be concerned with, people who don't know Jesus, people who are in pain, people who are hurting, brokenness, and and here's me over here frustrated about this little thing, and and God's heart is breaking for, for this over here. You see, if we're going to receive his grace, we've got to be willing to give grace. If we're going to receive God's grace in our life, I believe it has to then flow out of us. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be extending that grace to others in our lives. You know, I mentioned earlier about um, all the turmoil that's going on in the world right now. This huge conversation that's going on about racism, riots taking place, civil unrest, all these different things going on, and we're wrestling with with how to handle this, and if if you're not sure what the answer is, then just jump on Facebook, because there's lots of people have got the answer and they're posting it, but the reality is, there's no simple answer. There's no simple answer. This is a huge problem, and it all boils down to the attitudes of our hearts. And like Jonah, we have to be careful because we can allow our hearts to be hardened. We can forget the way that God had mercy on us and forgave us and loved us. And we can find ourselves judging others, looking at what we think people deserve or what they don't deserve, and forget what God gave us. And I think this morning as we close out our service, this is a great reminder for all of us about what grace and mercy looks like and the cost at which it it came to us. You see, none of us deserve God's grace and mercy. For us to have a right relationship with God, for us to be in, in communion and fellowship with God, we would have to live perfect lives because God is perfect. So the minute we do one thing wrong, there's a separation between us and God. And for you and for me this morning, there's no way we could do enough right things and enough good things to bridge that gap and to make things right. So God loves us so much that he sent the solution in Jesus. Jesus died and he rose again. His body was broken, his blood was shed. And because of that, we can now have a relationship with God. We can choose to follow Jesus like Andy talked about last week, we can, we can go to God in the same way as the people of Nineveh did and say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. We can turn from our ways and we can, we can experience a relationship with him. But as we take communion this morning, I want us to do two things. I want us to take communion, thinking of it in, in both aspects, in the, the grace that we've been given, the fact that God loved us so much, So we're receiving that grace and mercy this morning. But as we're taking communion, how are we showing God's grace and mercy to others? Is there some Jonah in us? Where we look and think, well, that's not fair. They don't deserve that. Or are we showing the same grace that God was showing? 
when he said, Nineveh, a city of 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Shouldn't we look around us and have that same compassion and that same grace for others? So I hope wherever you are at home right now, you've got um, something that you can join us with in communion, maybe some bread or some crackers, a glass of juice, a glass of wine, whatever it is you have at home right now. If you're watching as a group this morning, maybe just get ready to take communion together as a group. And I'll lead us in communion so we can all take it together this morning. So let's break off a piece of the bread together and let's eat it now together. Father God, thank you that you showed me, you showed all of us that grace and that mercy when you sent Jesus to die for us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing your body to be broken for us. Now, if you have a drink, let's take that together. Lord, your body was broken, your blood was shed because you loved us so much. You went through the the pain and the agony of the cross. You died, Lord, in our place. Forgive us, Lord, if we've ever allowed that grace and that mercy to stop with us. Lord, we want to be a conduit. We want want that grace and mercy to flow through us. And as followers of Jesus, alive on this earth at this time, we want to show that grace and that mercy and that love to others. Lord, there is a broken, hurting world around us right now. And Lord, they don't need to hear our judgment and our anger. They need to hear your love and your grace and your mercy. Help us to learn the lesson that Jonah clearly learned as he reflected back right in this book, that his attitude on that hillside that day was wrong. To be more angry over a vine that died, more upset about a plant that died than about 120,000 people who you loved dearly. Help us, Lord to keep our priorities straight, to to choose what it is that will upset us. Lord, we want to be upset by the things that upset you, Lord. And we want to show grace and mercy and love in your name to those who need to hear it, receive it, and feel it at this time. Help us in that, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much again for being with us here this morning. As you heard earlier, we're starting a brand new series next week, and we as a staff have been talking a lot about this series over the last few weeks. We've got a lot of exciting plans um, built into this series. I think you're really going to enjoy it as we go over the next few weeks into the summer, building our church. So please join us again next Sunday, and uh, join us Thursday night for our worship night too. God bless. Bye-bye.